You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go into God's word. Hallelujah. All right. Welcome to church. Before we start, let me apologize for the heat. Part of it is the energy you have generated in prayer. But the most of it is that um, the facility, their facility manager was a little bit careless and um, switched on the gen without, there was, a, there was a technical error. And so it had to go off for a while. But it's, it's back up. And I just want someone to confirm that that thing is on and working. Okay, y'all can feel it. But, but y'all can't feel it. Okay. I promise that we're working on All right, two big ones. So if we can have the, one of the big ones there and the other there. And then the smaller somewhere in front here. So that DB will not sweat and go and embarrass us in pop. I'm just joking. He can't do that. But, but at least let's provide some level of comfort. For every one of you. Do, do, do you guys like this place? Yeah. All right. Welcome. Well, we are literally just setting up. And like it's always like this if you move into a space for the first time. A lot of things are not yet the way they are meant to be. We started setting up 12 noon yesterday. And we finished setting up. Well, we've not finished. We finished with some extent. Some extent. Extent. All right, I'm inclined to give it some thinking. Why, why aren't we deploying the fans? Is there a problem? Sir? Are we working on it? All right. So I'm inclined to give some thoughts. And I remember when the Lord called me into ministry. Um, this was 2009, by the way, when the Lord called me into ministry. Sometime in 2008, 2009. I remember the words the Lord spoke to me when the Lord said things around raising him an army. In fact, I was so convinced about that that at at first I wanted to call the church God's Army Ministries. Many of you wouldn't have come. Many of you wouldn't have come. Just say, what's the name of your church? God's Army Ministry. Say, nope. Not doing that. (laughs) Miss me with that. All right. But then, thankfully, the Lord prevailed on my heart. (laughs) But God's Army will still be raised. You don't sound convinced. I said, God's Army will still be raised. We are still God's Army. We are still His people called to do His work, called to do His bidding called to go where he will have us go, when he will have us go, to influence the nations and societies and systems for him. Yeah, we're still his army. We're still his army. Hallelujah. And that call has influenced many sacrifices. And on a day like this, we, we look back and just thank God for how much he has done and how well he has done it. How much he has done and how well he has done it. I'm not one to... 
I, I, I like to think I'm a modest person to an extent. And I think sometimes modesty can be bad. You know, because sometimes it's good to say the things God has done for you and say it exactly how he's done it for you. Uh, in five years, Circle Church is how old? Five years, right? Maybe you don't understand how much of a big deal it is that a church this age is doing many of the things that we have set out in boldness to do. All right. Listen. Let me show you something. If you are a student or you recently stopped being a student, I'm saying recently, that means within the last 18 months, you stopped being a student, raise your hand. Look around you. We have a church that has at least maybe 40% of its audience as students. Is that correct? And yet, somehow... Not only has the Lord blessed us, but the Lord has blessed you, even as students, to be able to be part of the work he's doing. Make no mistakes. You were born for such a time as this. You were not an accident. God has a plan for our generation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we will see it executed. We will. We will. And so I'm grateful but at the same time, uh, this sounds like a message I would preach on our anniversary Sunday. But at the same time, I want to remind us of why we do what we do. Why do we spend money on church? Trust me, it is expensive. Ah! Our, our bank is Zenith Bank. That's the bank we bank with, Zenith and Access. This week... Ah, they would have known. They would have, ah, what's happening? Debit, 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 debit. Ah, it's expensive. Why spend so much money on church? Why don't we just gather under a tree and clap and sing? Listen, that's even the easiest one to answer. If there are people who are not saved, who don't yet know Jesus, who don't yet love Jesus, and will not agree to gather with you under a tree. If what it would take them to agree to at least listen is to get a space like this and, and spend money, then we will spend money. Because one soul is worth more than all the money in the world. That's our priority. We are not saving money at the expense of souls. That doesn't make kingdom sense. Kingdom economics is different from natural economics. It is true. The money we spent on rent, purchasing lights, if we, if we put it together and bought food, we'll probably feed every homeless person in Yaba. Lagos. Lagos. Yeah, I'm too sure of it. We'll probably feed every homeless person in Lagos. It's true. But after they finish eating that one time, Give it six, seven hours. Some people, 30 minutes. <laughs> they would visit the restroom or whatever their version of the restroom is and that would be the end of that money spent. It is much better to spend it on something that will count for eternity. And so if what we are spending the money on is creating an environment that makes worship easier, 
ah, is a no-brainer in my books. Do you understand what I'm saying? Has, has anyone presented you a deal before? And you're like, that's a no-brainer now. Somebody brings you a Benz, proves to you that it's in good working condition. And they say, we know this money is a lot, too, but it's a 2023 Benz. If you drop 10K, I will give you. It's in good working condition. They didn't steal it. They just want to. It's a no-brainer now, right? It's a no-brainer. 10K, I will give you 20 Say, I'll give you 100. <laughs> I don't have 100. I'll go and look for it and give you. It's a no-brainer. If what it will take to see souls saved is that millions are spent, I will spend it too. Say, I will spend it. Ah, we'll spend it. We'll spend it collectively, corporately as a body and individually as people you will soon start spending millions individually to save souls. Say amen. You will take from your pockets, you will see an entire village that is unsaved. You will go to that village, establish a hospital, establish schools, just so that you can reach them for the gospel. Say amen. amen. And you will do it from your pockets with ease. Yes. It's a no-brainer. Like, there's no point, there's no argument, there's no discussion. The, the discussion is not, does it make sense? The discussion is, when do we start? We must have priorities as Christians. Don't join the bandwagon of people that don't understand. One scripture we read during the midweek service on Thursday was, um, the spiritual things are foolish to the natural man. Are you with me? Oh, spiritual things are foolish to the natural man. Why, why are you spending so much money? on church why why don't you just use that money to build industries because industries collapse they, do you hear what i'm saying industries collapse big companies still fold but a saved soul doesn't a saved soul is saved eternally put your money see let me tell you something how would what would your response be if someone told you that I know an investment opportunity that if you put your money in, it will reap rewards and returns till you die, what would your response be? Where do I sign up? How much do you need me to put? It's now money that you have. Where do I sign up? The only investment that has eternal returns on investment is salvation. And so if we will spend money to get people saved, we will. Are you with me? Someone help um, the young man and his wife outside. I think they've lost their way. We will. And we will continue to. And it will continue making sense. Jesus said, unto, um, Jesus said something, and this is where my teaching begins. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. In the name of Jesus, send the light. Send the light. Send the light, O Jehovah. Send the light. You know, there's, there's a way Jesus behaves. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was talking to his disciples. Let me just take a brief detour. I'll come back to what I'm saying now later, but let me take a brief detour. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. 
He says, pray now that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. Are, are, are we together? If you understand, you will know um, the harvest makes reference to those who aren't yet saved. Is that correct? And then the laborers would make reference to those who are saved. Are you with me? Uh, but um, that's us, evangelists. Is that correct? He says, pray that the Lord will send laborers into the field. And so, many times we stop at reading Matthew 9. We don't read into Matthew 10. Because Matthew 10, from the beginning of Matthew 10, he gathers all of them and divides them and sends them out. So, the prayer, the answer to the prayer for light in our time is you. <laughs> Say, I am the answer, am the answer. to the prayer, the prayer. for light. Oh, we have many people. Many people need Jesus. When you say that, do you know what Jesus is hearing? Lord, I need more work. Lord, I need more work. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so he'll send you out. We have a responsibility to play. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. One of the promises of Christianity is that when you come to Jesus, you will find rest. He is our Sabbath. Amen. I expected a better response. He's our Sabbath. He's our rest. He's, he's, he gives us rest from our works, from our burdens. Are you burdened with the weight of sin? Oh, Jesus will give you rest. Are you discouraged? Jesus will give you rest. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is life fleeting? Does life trouble you? Jesus will give you rest. But make no mistakes. One of the ways Jesus gives rest is by taking your burden and placing another burden on you. A more meaningful one that gives you a sense of purpose. Man was not created to be idle. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me say that in another way. Man was not created to be without a burden. Man must always have an assignment. He must always have something to do. In fact, when man was created, the first thing that was told him was an instruction, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Have dominion. So man was not created to just not be, just flex. God just created you. Say, how are you doing? You are good? So you say, God, what do you want from me? No, 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 nothing. Just enjoy. All you have to do is shine. That, that's, that's not, man wasn't created that way. There is a burden that we must pick up when we come into the Christian faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. We, we drop our own heavy burden. And it's heavy because it's unnecessary. Are you with me? It's heavy because it is unnecessary. So we drop it. And we take on a necessary burden that is connected to the purpose for our living. And we run with that one. Because it's light. It's light because we understand it. Listen, many of you carry laptop bags to work every day. Is that correct? When you first pick up that bag, it may feel heavy. But you know, oh, well, I have to take this to work because I must work. So as you move with it, after a while, you even forget it's in your hand. 
Have you ever been, like has it ever happened to you that you are holding something and you are looking for it? Sometimes you are holding your phone, you put on the touch on your phone to look for your phone. <laughs> Do you understand? The burden is light. It's meaningful. There's no meaning outside Jesus. Let me take it a step further. There's no meaning outside serving Jesus. No meaning outside serving Jesus. Nothing in this world will really satisfy you. When you left school, you told God, God, if you will just give me a job that pays 200K, 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 you got that job. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I've got a job that pays 200K. I give you one month. By the end of the one month, you start thinking, is it really worth it? Why am I suffering like this? What is this life really about? About, rather. Now, you start praying, okay, God, 200K is not enough. Maybe that's why I'm upset. Give me a job that pays 500. God is gracious. You start earning 500. Again, one month. That's one month after the first salary drops. You know, there's that excitement when the first salary just, oh, wow. You first of all count the zeros. One, two, it's complete. So I thank you, Jesus. Then after that, you start to contemplate again on the meaning of life. Why? Because deep down you know it's not rewarding enough. There's a meme that has been circulating between yesterday. I don't know who. You know there's a way they just used to announce memes. You just announce it and suddenly you see it everywhere you look. Uh, how many of you have seen this one? Bills. Variations of bills. Where is Joker? You posted it. Mm, close coming. Because <laughs> I saw Variation of my bills versus my salary. Right? We know it is never satisfying. Never. Life in itself is not satisfying. You, and the mistake we keep making is thinking if we just had a little bit more, we will be satisfied. No, you won't be. What you are yearning for inside of you is not more of what you already have. It's something different. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's something different from what you already have. No matter how much water you pour into something that is meant to take oil, it will never work like when it has oil. Is that correct? Even if, so you pour water inside, you know, a, an engine, like a generator or a car, and then it's supposed to have oil there, but you pour water inside, and then it doesn't start, so you, you say, put more water. That's not the solution. The solution is to remove all the water and get oil and pour inside. The solution to your craving, the solution to your dissatisfaction is not more of, of what you already have. It's something else. It's something else. Jesus said to that woman, I have water that if you drink, you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. Are you with me? So we come to Christianity and we pick up a burden. And we pick up a burden. In Circle Church, we always say our mission is to love God, to love people, and connect both parties. You've seen that before, right? The mission of Circle Church is to love God, love people, connect both parties. It sounds fresh. 
and tush. But that's a lot of work. People are hard to love. Amen? Amen. People, some people are hard. Some people, it's like some people take it upon them. Say, you say, I will love you. They'll say, challenge accepted. <laughs> say, you want to love me? Ah. Have you seen all those ladies? Uh, I, am, I am a university course that you cannot graduate from. Or I'm a book you cannot finish. You have problem. <laughs> Go and deal with your issues. Don't put it on another person's son. You, I mean, I mean, I mean, how do they say it? I mean, a book you cannot finish studying. Even me, I don't know myself. And it's something you're proud of. <laughs> There's a prophecy in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Mediatin, please put up Joel 2, 28. My, my teaching is breaking because I'm beginning with the Lord to allow me to teach just a little bit before we pray a little bit and then he will do other things that he wants us to do. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And listen, note that he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he says, he begins to quantify what all flesh means. He says, your sons and your daughters, your old men and your young men, the handmaiden and the, and the born servant, all flesh. When it comes to God's burden and God's agenda and God's work, there is no classification. No man is too small to be used by God. Do you hear me? And yet no man is too big to be used by God. No man is too insignificant to be used by God. Listen, hear me. Oh, I don't have a stage. I don't have the money. That's, that's not what we're talking about. No man is too small to be used by God. We have the Bible record stories of eight-year-old kings that turned nations to God. I think his name was Josiah, is that correct? And the Bible says, and King Josiah did what was good in the sight of the Lord. And the whole of the nation was turned to God because of an eight-year-old king. Many of you have been alive three times longer than he was alive. In case you don't know what that means, you are 24 years, you are, you've been alive three times longer than Josiah. And yet you haven't done a third of what he did for, the gospel, for God. No man is too small to be used by God. When God wants to use a man, he doesn't check the size of his bank account. No man's bank account can fund the gospel. No man's, let me tell you now, no man's bank account can fund the gospel. It's not possible. You will go bankrupt. I knew of um, a bank MD who one day got up, said the Lord called him into ministry. And instead of him to keep in step with God, he wanted to blow quick, 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 quick. You know that people, our generation, we don't know how to wait anymore. We want everything to happen like that. Are you with me? So he went to put his ministry on television. He went bankrupt in two months. <laughs> no man's account can fund the gospel. It's why it's a collective thing. You bring, I bring, we'll, we'll move it forward. When God blesses you, you bring. He bless me, I'll bring. We'll move it forward. So God doesn't look at anybody's bank account to call them into ministry or to ask them to work for him. God doesn't consider anybody's social status 
Say, ah, you are popular. You are not. If I use you to go far, let me use you first. You work on being popular. What are you doing? That's not the way God works. Are you with me? The call of this ministry, the mission of this ministry is to influence culture. And if you are going to influence culture, you must realize that you have something to say. You have a message. You have a part to play. You are significant. Listen. I started by telling you that God called me. I mean, he, took, he called me. He said I should raise an army. I said that because I wanted to say this. Military men don't fight in the barracks. In fact, fighting in the barracks as a military man is a punishable offense. You are trained in the barracks to fight outside. Church is your barracks. You don't come to church to do ministry alone. You must take it outside of the local assembly. Are you with me? Are you with me? You may be trained on how to fight in the barracks. You'll be trained on how to handle a weapon in the barracks. But you won't handle that weapon inside the barracks. A military man will be taught how to take a life. If, now, if you are so enthusiastic about your training, take a life inside the barracks. Try it. If you do any harm, you see any harm. <laughs> All of that training must come to bear outside. Are you with me? There is a call on your life, dear believer. See, the Bible says that he gave his life for all, that they which live should henceforth no longer live for themselves. There is a point we get to in Christian maturity where we start to have a sense of responsibility for the things of God beyond just showing up in church. Let me tell you something. Showing up in church is barest minimum. Are you with me? There was one time I was nursing the fantastic, I, I believe it was demons that were speaking to me, the fantastic idea to travel abroad and join the FBI. I know it's fantastic. Like I said, it's a fantastic idea. It's fantasy. Then I saw what their training regimen was like. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and you run 11 kilometers to start with, you just wake up and start running. Did you know the Bible said that it's the wicked that runs when no man is pursuing? <laughs> just start running. Where are you running to? Nowhere. We're going somewhere. Just 11 kilometers. Do you know how far that is? <laughs> you run 11 kilometers. <laughs> I said, God. Do you know what is interesting though? When the FBI trainee has run 11 kilometers, he doesn't stop and say, ah, I've tried. I've given my all for the FBI. No, you still go to the field. They will still send you to tackle cases. You will see, if you've watched all those movies, you say criminal, FBI, stop. The criminal start running. That's when you will now put your 11 kilometers to good use. Because you must chase after him. You will run. You will, ah, you will run. You will run. Oh. If you don't run. <laughs> Are you with me? So when you come to church, maybe you are serving in church, let me tell you something. It's nice, it's good, we appreciate the sacrifice. I really do. But that's barest minimum. All of that service is training for something else. Do you hear me? It's training for something bigger, it's training for something more. Say something more. 
it's training for something more. When the Lord calls you and the Lord tells you every day, wake up, 2 a.m., pray. You wake up, 2 a.m., and you are praying. Know that the prayer is not the end in itself. Oh. It's a means to another end. The prayer is training for something else. When the Lord gives you a burden, it's not, just, it's not about the burden. You now say, my own part is to pray. God has given me a burden for souls. And so I will pray for souls. No, the burden is for you to pray and then go out and work. I want to speak to you from my heart today, brothers and sisters. There is work to be done. Do you hear what I'm saying? Many of you are not yet married or of marriageable age, but you have an unspoken fear of raising your children in this generation. Raise your hand if you are like that. My hand is up. You have an unspoken fear. You can tell when you see Twitter questions. What will you do if your son comes and says he's gay? The person that asked that question wasn't just asking it for content's sake. It's, an it's a hidden fear. Because we know that this is, is a possibility. It, see, it is even more possible than it is not. It tells you the amount of work we have to do as Christians. And the devil is so smart. It's like before he was fighting Christians that were preaching. Then at some point it's just ah, it's as if every time I persecute them to stop preaching, they grow. Leave the pews for them. Leave the stage for them. Let them have their big buildings. Let them have their grand stage. Let them have everything. We will go to where the actual culture formation happens. The media. Family. Society. Uh, uh, recently, two celebrities, um, there was a thing going online, a rumor, or whatever, it was news, going online that one cheated on the other. They were a pillar for marriage in our society. The number of people that I saw that said, if this person can cheat on this person, I will never believe in love again. Jesus. God instituted it. Instituted marriage. Instituted love. Do you know how ridiculous it is? Listen. Maybe the reason why I'm talking like this is because it's very easy for you to move into a good venue, have good lighting, have everything, and think, okay, Canaan land. Not the one in Ottawa, like promised land. We have arrived. It's very easy to get there and think, ah, all is well that ends well and has ended well. But let me tell you, all of this is peripheral. Do you hear me? It does not begin to compare to the amount of work we have outside. It doesn't. It doesn't. That our generation fears marriage like a plague. Do you know what is funny though? Many of the people that fear marriage have parents that have been married as long as they've been alive. But somehow, we don't see it. Why? The devil seized the narrative in the media. I heard my pastor say this. What is the Bible's position on lust? It's always one thing. Flee. Run away. Right? You see it in Joseph's story. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, 1 Timothy, 
Um, chapter 2, flee all appearances of youthful lust. In 1 Corinthians, it also says to flee from lust. Right? That's the Bible's stance on sexual sins, on lust. But almost everywhere you turn today, I'm saying, see, if you open your phone for up to 20 minutes, you will see either a fully nude image or an indecently dressed person. Am I saying the truth? Oh, okay. You are watching a movie. Innocent movie. Has not... See, the, the sex scene is not pivotal to the movie at all. In fact, the entire movie was going this way and you were enjoying it, then sex scene. Then let's go back. <laughs> Some movies, first scene... Boom! And you're like, ha ha. Ha ha. When you just became born again, you skip it. Say, ah, no, no, no. Now, just wait for it to finish. Let me tell you something. It is becoming increasing, more increasingly difficult to obey the wisdom of the Bible in our time. Because if you are to flee appearances of youthful, where are you fleeing to? That we have to beg Christians now, male and female, in church to dress well. At least before, at least you will flee to church and you know that in church I'm safe. Now, it's praise and worship time and you have to be saying, get deep behind me, Satan. We are saying, thank you, Jesus. Get the behind me, Satan. Thank you, my... You turn this way. Get the behind me, Satan. Get, ah, ah. Where are you fleeing to? We have a responsibility to right these wrongs. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I started by telling you that... Is this the real time? <laughs> I started by telling you that nobody is too small... Or too big to get this work done. Listen, you must understand something. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. Let me show you something. Everybody read together one to go. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Let me show you something. You see that teach all nations. Jesus wasn't talking or, or we will not achieve national revival by individual evangelism. I'll say it again. We will not achieve national revival by individual evangelism. We must have a systemic mindset. There's a scripture where Paul says that you should pray for those in authority that we may live peaceably and we may do what's acceptable in the sight of God. It means that there is a system within which the gospel will thrive. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a system within which the gospel can thrive. And anything outside of that system will make it difficult for the gospel. Many of the nations today that don't have, that don't, um, that Christianity is illegal in. See, 
Imagine what it would be like if tomorrow the government just announced Christianity is no longer illegal in those nations. Imagine the amount of souls that we can see driven to the kingdom when you don't have to fear. Like many of you don't, especially those of us that live in Lagos, we don't know the freedom we have that you can walk on the streets and the Holy Ghost will tell you, talk to that sister or talk to that brother and you walk up and say, can I have five minutes of your time and you preach the gospel without fear for your life. Up north, you may die. You may die. What am I trying to say? Individual evangelism is great. But we must have a systemic or systematic mindset to this thing. Where we understand that there are corridors of power, corridors of influence that we must avail ourselves in. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying to redirect your ambition. Many of you are ambitious, ambitious for no reason. Let me give you something to be ambitious about. You want to become famous? You, you like fame? It's good. Now, look for a way to walk into those corridors of power for Christ. There are many things to observe in your time. Name a one champ Champions League. How many of you remember that time he won Champions League? And he wore, was it that hairband where he said Jesus is king or something? And boom, Christians everywhere. People everywhere. Justin Bieber wore his shirt that said Jesus is Lord. Boom. F See, now, I'm not saying that we should limit our evangelism to wearing a shirt that says Jesus is Lord. Please try and catch what I'm trying to teach. But I'm saying that until... We understand that social influence was given to drive spiritual agenda most times. We will miss out on what... This is something the church has missed out on massively. Social influence was given to drive spiritual agenda. It's why Jesus did not plant a church in one place and stay in one place. It's why he went from city to city preaching. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, the, the Pharisees said, see, the whole world has gone after him. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Is it possible? Come on now. Is it possible? Yes, sir. You don't sound sure. Is it possible? Yes, sir. The only way we will achieve it is by having an ambition for selfless cause. And that selfless cause is the spread of the gospel. So you are not too small in your office evangelize the people in your office. Be systematic about it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not just Jesus loves you or Jesus died for your sins. Stand for Christian values. Stand to express and inculcate Christian values everywhere you go. Think about it. We have an expression of this in scripture with Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul was a tent maker, the Bible says. You know that, right? Paul was a tent maker. He made tents. And he had these workers that worked with him, Priscilla and her husband, Aquila. Now, through Paul's ministry, they came to know Jesus. But not only did they come to know Jesus, they were established in the faith so much so.
think everyone is shallow? People aren't shallow. People know what they're looking for. People have pertinent questions on their hearts. And, and they need answers. Do you have the answers? If you do, are you giving the answers to them? Enough of this selfish living. Stop it. You have work to do. Why can't I do what I want? Why are you are a child? It's only a baby that talks that way. Are you with me? People know what they want. Your friends in the office, they know what they're looking for. And when someone presents a solution, whether it is good or bad, if it looks like it is the solution, they will go after it. So you have that good boy who joined the office. Wasn't really a serious Christian, but wasn't a terrible person. Right? Had questions on his heart. The Lord nudged you. Even if the Lord did not nudge you, you knew you should have spoken to this person. You never did so. You never took out time to evangelize. One day you now realize he has gone the other way. He's now a chronic womanizer. He drinks. He smokes. He's living, you know, on, in an unruly way. You say, oh, the devil has gotten him. No, you failed him. You failed him. Because the devil brought him a lie and he believed it. He started to think that the answer to his questions was really in those things that he was doing. Why do you think like that? Because you refused to provide the right answer. Praise the Lord. See, allow me to speak from my heart. I have a lot to say. Many arguments we have, online, offline, in church, outside church, we have, we have lost a Over the last weekend, the argument was on speaking in tongues. There are souls perishing. People that need to be saved. Work that needs to be done. You are sitting in your home at the comfort of whatever you have. You are tweeting. Eh, tongues is, is rubbish. Is not, is not. And there are people that don't even know any. They, they, they are not close. You know, you know that none of us will go to hell because we spoke in tongues. See. Let me say it like this. If it ends up being correct, it's not. But if it ends up being correct, that tongues is glorified nonsense. And we go um, to heaven. The most that will come out of it is laughter. Aha, you, you're always talking nonsense. Why you, that's the most. The apostles will gather and laugh at us. The end. Nobody's going to hell. Yet, that's what, over the last three, four days, they've been shouting on, on the internet tongues, this one, that, are you okay? <laughs> Where is your sense of responsibility? It's one of the reasons why I hardly put my mouth in those conversations. Except it directly affects the person of God, that's the deity of Jesus, and the salvific work of Christ, I hardly ever have anything to say. I have things to say, but I'd rather not. I have a church. I've probably thought on what you are, you are talking about. If you need an answer, we have podcasts. Go and listen. There's so much work to be done. You have so much responsibility that the, you are too... Let me put it like this. 
you are too responsible for a lot of things for you to be spending, to be thinking of spending your money only on yourself. Spending your time only on yourself. Spending your resources only on yourself. You are too, you are like, you're, many of us behave like fathers that have forgotten they have children. You are a man. You got money. Maybe you got one 10 million that you were not planning for. And the first thing you think about is going to buy a new car. So you have problem. Especially if um, you have dependents who have more pressing needs on that money than that car. And you already have a car. Which is where many of us are. We have a responsibility to reach out to systems and conquer them. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, you must be ambitious. Oh. You must blow. You don't have a choice. Let me tell you now. Look at me, all of you. Look up. Look at me. You will blow. Amen. Say amen. amen. Whether you like it or not, you will blow. Because the gospel needs you to blow. Say amen. amen. Ah, you must blow. You don't have a choice. I'm praying for you. You will stumble into success. Ah, so how did we get here? You will be working hard to not be successful. You will now find out that you are successful. Ah, after all my hard work. Ah, you will blow. You must blow. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you will blow because you need money. No, no, no. You will blow. Money will touch your hand for you. But the gospel needs the resources. It does. Two years ago, I was talking to my wife. And I told my wife that one of the biggest prayers on my heart is this. I want to be in the room when conversations on the state of Christianity in Nigeria and the things that affect Christianity in Nigeria, when those conversations are had, I want to have a seat in that room. Because make no mistake, conversations like that are hard. Conversations like that are hard. May we not be at the mercy of godless people. May our expression of faith not be at the mercy of godless people. Now that you have said amen, you have work to do. Some of you need to get into politics. Some of you need to get into business and do it well. We have rumors of multi-billion um, Naira companies sponsoring terrorism against Christianity. And your own response to it is, Chai. Eya. Listen, there's an adage. The trees kept voting for the axe while the forest was shrinking because it looked like them. The, the meaning of the adage or the explanation is this. An axe has a wooden handle. A tree sees the wooden handle and thinks the axe is one of them. But the axe is chopping the trees off one. See, let me tell you something now. You are not a canal person. The devil knows it. The, God knows it. The only person that does not know it is you. When you are pursuing canal, canality, selfish worldly enjoyment, you are not a worldly person. At least not in nature. Do you, do you hear me? You are not a worldly person any more than I'm a woman. I'm not a woman, I'm a man. So you are not a world, you are not a world, you are a spiritual person. The devil knows it, God knows it, you don't know it. Peter said you are forgotten. So 
when canal people are enticing you with carnality and you are falling for it, they are just looking at you and smiling because they are cutting the trees down and the Christian, the body of Christ, you are clapping for them because they have flesh and blood like us. We think they are one of us. No. You are not like them. And if you are not careful, um, if you are not careful, you would hide like the ostrich. Put your head in the sand. Your body is exposed. Other people are being destroyed. You say nothing about it till it gets to your turn and there's nobody to defend you. Because all the people that would have helped you out, you watched them get destroyed. When will you have a sense of responsibility for the gospel? That's what I want. See, this is the Circle Church mission. We love God, we love people, and we must connect those two parties. God and people must meet on our account. Say amen. amen. God and people will meet on our account. In your home, you have a brother, you have a sister, the person is not saved. You've never taken time out. See, I, I, I told you something last week. A prophecy. And I, I make bold to declare it again. By the time we come for campfire this year, many of you will come with your siblings that you have been talking to about Jesus. And you are not coming with them to convince them. You are coming with them fully saved. Say amen to that. Now for those of you who have not started talking to your siblings, start now. You know what's interesting? Some of you are the siblings that other people are talking to. You are a Christian, no? But your siblings have to keep reminding you that you shouldn't do like this now. When are you go? When when will we grow up? When will we grow up? The Bible says that at the end it will be said that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. It is our responsibility to take kingdoms for the gospel. Kingdoms. Kingdoms. The other day, um, I think this was last year, there was an argument that why would they create a gospel category in, in the headings? How many of you remember that argument? It was a very, very funny one. I was just laughing because you still don't get the point. Why should they even create a category for you? That's my question. Why should worldly people acknowledge your effort as a Christian? Why? They control the narrative, or they, are, that they seem to control the narrative. They seem to control the industry. Then they now throw us in bones. Okay, we'll create a gospel category for you. Eh? Don't cry. It's giving a word for participation. Don't cry, don't cry. Don't cry, it's okay. Oh, yeah, take, don't cry. Eh? Go home. The Christians will be celebrating. I won. And, and th during that conversation, they were saying uh, Nathaniel Bassi did a better, he's a better musician than um, Ashake. And I agree. Do you know how much music goes into gospel music? Most secular songs just beats and no lyrics, just beats and just say, say literally anything that comes to your mind when it's time to talk. Then put it together. And vomit it on everybody. Uh, uh, this this one uh, Shinji Kagawa, then Jesu Christi Lobao. Like, are you okay? 
you went from a Japanese footballer to Jesus Christi. Why are you okay? <laughs> That's one won awards, <laughs> Say Nathaniel Bassett. Yes, he is. But the industry or the people recognizing the efforts. Are, are we together? The people recognizing the efforts are not looking for musicality or lyrics. There is something deeper driving them. And it is their culture. They are looking for their culture. If you want your own to mean something, exalt your culture. Do you hear what I'm saying? Stop going outside to the world and bringing in their culture into the church. We want to always remix secular songs. I have Christian songs finished. We want to always bring in the culture from outside into this place. We have work to do. Amen? So, we are going to run away from all this um, style of ministry that only engages comfort. From today, may this church find a greater evangelistic approach to work with. And may it be fruitful. In the name of Jesus. For a long time. Listen, can I speak freely? I, I, I like boss evangelism. I like it. It's good. But do you know that boss evangelism does more for the person evangelizing than for the one evangelized too? Do you know? On Thursday, someone asked me a question. I think it was on Thursday. If you are just saved, how do you know a good church to go to? And I answered, a person who just got saved has no business deciding what church he will go to. He should be told where to go to. Just like a baby does not decide what school they go to. They are told, oh, you go to this school. Then from this school you go to... Many of us, even as teenagers, who at the time we should have had sense, we were still choosing school to go to based on vibes. Am I correct? We're choosing school to go to based on vibes. Say, ah, eh, in this school, they have too many rules. In this school, I can party every weekend. Is that why you are going to school? Based on vibes. And it's the reason why many people today don't know how to pick a church. Because you were saved, and then the person that got you saved just left you. Say, find a good Bible believer. How are you supposed to find a good? How, do you know what Bible believing church means? You just got saved. How are you supposed to know? And many people fall prey to false teachers and false prophets. Because many people who evangelize do not do their work to the fullest. So, in this church, I advocate every now and again, when led by the Spirit, you can do a boss evangelism. But that cannot be. God's plan for evangelism. You finish preaching in a bus, you say, say the sinner's prayer. Look, many times it is more to mark your own record I preached than it is to get people saved. As far as I preached. Am I saying the truth or not? Oh, okay. So now, somebody in the bus eventually said the sinner's prayer. You don't know who. Okay, let's say you know who the person is. You are not following the person up. You are not. The person lives in Nikorodu, you live in Aja. How can you follow that person up? You are not following the person up. 
So you don't even know where the person is established in. And the devil, many times we, we think the attack of the enemy is usually opposition. No, many times the attack of the enemy is to just agree with the fruitless exercises that we engage in. Just keep doing it. He will stroke your ego. Now, I'm not saying preaching in the bus is fruitless. I'm saying most times it is not done right. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not done right. The people who started it, started it under the, with the mindset that if you are preaching in a bus heading towards your home, then most likely everybody in that bus lives in your vicinity. And so it would be easy to evangelize too. Are we together? Uh, but you are preaching a bus heading towards your office or the bus before the bus stop that your office is at. Are we correct? Uh, so they are spreading abroad like the word of God and you don't know where they are going to end up. So you can't even follow them up. So, we must be more conscious about how this gospel is spreading. Can I tell you another one that will shock you? You have no business inviting someone to church if you've never taken time to talk to them before. Did it shock you? Stop delegating the work you are meant to do to the lead pastor then you now hope that when they come to church, I will bring such a powerful word that will meet them at the point of... How many needs are we meeting in the church? You know that we don't come to church primarily to meet you at the point of your needs. I hope you know. We come primarily to be trained in God's word. If the training meets you at the point of your need, then hurrah. You've never spoken to this person before. You've not taken time to address the matters on their heart. You've not taken time to ask, do you have questions? Um, can we talk about this? Do you, are you confused? Let's, let's discuss along these lines. Then I can now tell you, follow me to church on Sunday. Sometimes you talk to them like that for like two, three months before you now say, are you available to follow me to church on Sunday? You just shove flyer in their face. Take. We're doing special program in church. Come. Your life will be changed. You are making a promise that you are not sure you can keep. What, what makes you think their lives will be changed because they came for your special program? See, I love your efforts, children of God. I love your efforts. I love the energy you are putting in. And it works sometimes. But is it not better to know that if I do it, I won't miss than to keep trying many things and missing them? Their lives won't be changed because the music was nice. They will just end up saying, nice music. The end, bye. Oh, the preaching was nice. Okay, let's do a thing. How many of you have invited someone to church that way? Hold on. And then they came. You asked them, how was the service? Oh, wonderful. Your pastor can preach. Then next time, let's go to church. And they didn't want to follow you. Raise your hand. No, raise that above your head. Don't be ashamed. You are, at least you invited someone to church. So raise your hand above your head. Thank you. Put your hands down. Because even the nice preaching, as nice as it is, is not what is going to keep them there. Like I said, people are not shallow. Many people know what they are looking for. 
And if you don't properly identify what they're looking for, you will just, they, many people will come to church with you out of a sense of obligation to their friends. You are my friend, let me just follow you to your church. Next week, they will follow the other friend to their church. And they will keep hopping around until somebody eventually sits them down and has a conversation with them. Then they will go there and stay there. It's 12 o'clock. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want us today, now more than ever, as a local assembly, as a church, to have a renewed commitment to reaching out for the gospel in the proper way. Not just reaching out for the gospel, but doing it right. Having an ambition for a selfless cause. Having an ambition to see God's word spread. And we're not doing it on a small scale. There is no point doing anything small. Start from your office. Start from your social media page. Many of you say, I'm not a social media person. I'm not either. Me? Oh, I'm not. I, I really hate social media. I hate the thing. Oh, but how do I use it so much? I have to. That's the way. It's work for me. I treat it like work. I schedule it. I'm serious. So when I wake up in the morning, so I'm going to tweet this today. Then I will put this on my Instagram today. All right. Schedule it. If you leave me, those of you that have stayed around me, you will know that I can put my phone and turn it upside down and forget where it is. Until maybe I get a phone call. Because I hate the thing. So, I'm not a social media person. It's not an excuse to not use social media. Do you hear me? It's a responsibility. God told you to make movies. Don't just join the bandwagon and be doing anything. Yes, make good movies. You are, you are making songs. You are making songs. It's not everybody that will be singing, um, hey, yeah, yeah, or, you know, Holy Ghost meeting. Time. He has opened every door. No, 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 no. No, if the Lord asks you to do songs, ask him what kind of songs. As a Christian, you can have an expression of your music ministry that is secular in nature. What do I mean by secular in nature? It is not immoral, right? But it is not religious. It's just good, wholesome. Let us stop contracting our weddings out to secular, um, immoral singers because we don't have Christian alternatives. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let, let's stop it. And if you are going to make a song that is Afro-gospel, please do it well. Have good lyrics. Don't just sing anything and say it's Afro-gospel. Have good lyrics. Excellence. Let, let us be excellent in what we do. There's something you will learn. The devil is excellent at what he does. Many of us don't know this. The devil is organized and excellent at what he does. Many of the things you see playing out in the media today are 10, 15 years in the making. 10, 15 years. See, we are playing catch up. 10, 15 years in the making. Four years ago, I was having a conversation with, I think it was four years ago, or five. I was having a conversation with my friend. He stays in Canada. He was telling me, then it was the LGBTQ community and I'm not even afraid to say it he, he was talking about how um, why is it a problem that they want what they want 
And I said, because whatever permits or whatever excuses what they want excuses many other things. And we are seeing it play out today. Many of the people who started the fight for um, inclus inclusivity are getting angry with the inclusivity. You see, because I feel like I'm a woman, um, because I feel attracted to men, I, I, am, I have a right to be attracted to men. There's something about the Christian worldview that gives meaning to life. The Christian worldview tells you, you are not how you feel. Do you understand? The Christian worldview teaches you to put your feelings under subjection. <laughs> Excuse me. The Christian worldview teaches you to put your feelings, thank you very much, under subjection. The secular worldview teaches you that your feelings are valid. And listen, they are not invalid, but the validity of your feelings should not dictate the trajectory of your life. Because if that were so, do you know what is funny? Amongst the homosexual couples, if one of them cheats because he felt something for someone else, it would be a problem. I thought our feelings were valid. I'm allowed to go with how I feel. These are conversations we must have. And the fact that we are, the, you know, many times when conversations like this come up, church people just keep quiet. Aha, I will talk. Cancel me. It's fine. Look. Again, let me say this. It is a paradox to be a Christian homophobe. That is, you are Christian and you hate gay people. Paradox. You can't hate them. You can't hate anybody because of their lifestyle. No, you are a Christian. You must love. Are you with me? But love does not endorse evil. Love does not endorse wrong. The Bible says love does not celebrate in wrongdoing. So I can love you and not love what you are doing. Do we agree? Okay. I can love you and not love what you are doing. I can love you and not love what you stand for. Many of your friends are in that, in that, uh, that, down that table. You love them, but when it comes to certain things, you don't even want to engage them because let's just not talk about this. Let's agree to disagree. Many of us, as Christians, we struggled with sexual sins, pornography, masturbation. Do you understand that the, the, the gospel of feelings teaches you that it is okay to give in to things like that? While science, uh, let's not even look at it from a religious perspective now. Science, have you seen, how many of you have seen articles on non-religious bodies talking about the dangers of pornography. So when we say that it is a temptation, the, the homosexual feeling is a temptation, just like pornography is a temptation, just like infidelity is a temptation. Don't tell me it's an overwhelming feeling you have. It is still a Have you found someone who is addicted to pornography before? Or drugs. Do you think they deliberately, many of you, not many, some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you know you love God and you don't want to live in this life before, again. Sometimes you just find, it is in the middle of the act you realize, what am I doing? 
If I ask if I'm saying the truth now, many of you will not answer me. But it's true. It's a temptation. And if we validate your feelings, how, what rights do we have to tell a minor attracted person, which is what they like to be called now, a minor attracted person that his attraction to minors is, is illegal? It's only a matter of time. I hope you know that there is a flag for them now. If you don't know who them is, the pedophiles, there's a flag for them now. I, I give them three years. A full-blown movement will be in force. And you cannot, you can't say they are wrong. Based on what? A man can say he's a woman. A woman can say she's a toaster. Then how can, if, if people are allowed to identify as whatever they want to identify as, people are allowed to like who they, because that's how they feel, then what rights do you have to speak against somebody that says I'm attracted to children? When people came out, there was one woman that came out and said she's attracted to a tree. The world laughed about it. You didn't see the trajectory. See, the devil is too smart. He knows what he's doing. 10 years, 15 years in the making. And many of us are playing catch-up. Ah, God forbid, do. Do you know that that's Christian attitude, not me and my family? It will not exempt your family. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Lord said about Abraham, I know Abraham. He, is, he will command his family. He will command his sons in my way. If you don't take time to win the battle on the family front, win the battle in your office, that's how the world changes with systems, not individuals. Not me and my family. If every one of us should say not me and my family and actually do the work of going home to raise good families. Are you with me? Who have less problems? What is your response to this teaching? Decisions. I will be a good father. I will be a good mother. I will make sure my children are raised in a good home. Good home does not necessarily mean strict home. It's good home. If they need a listening ear, they will get it. If they need a stern hand, they will get it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'll be a good Christian in the office. Not every party is yours to go for. Stop doing things because of the fear of missing out. There's nothing there that you are missing out of. This is your response to today's teaching. I will have an ambition for a selfless cause. This money I want to make, the gospel must feel it. The gospel must feel it. It must feel it. This fame that I have, the gospel must use it. This is my face that people are used to seeing, they will hear the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. And it is not just, uh, and it's not just coming out to say, Jesus is Lord, love Jesus. No. I would say that, I would do that, but I will also do, you know there's something called aggressive marketing. We are in your face with it everywhere you turn. I remember... I'm ending here now. I remember, um, I think it was um, um, one of the Mike Babylonians that make movies, Damilola, I think. He made a movie recently about a, um, a young man that couldn't, a young boy that couldn't talk. How many of you saw that? What's the name? Recitation, yes, that one. Lovely, lovely, I loved it. And then he, 
he was promoting it on his Twitter. And this young man says, um, I loved the movie, only that you are forcing Christianity down. And then Dami said, that comment made me laugh. It made me smile. I said, yeah, we are doing it well. When we are not in your face, but you can't avoid it. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, if you've ever seen an ad that, that says, watch porn, it is good for you, raise your hand. None of you have. But that's all the media seems to suggest. Is that correct? If you ever see an ad that says, eh, promiscuity is good for you, raise your hand. None of you has. But that's all the media say. That's aggressive. It's all they seem to suggest. Yeah, that's what we want to do. We'll make movies that make it look stupid <laughs> to do things like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We won't say that it's bad for you. We'll just make you feel stupid for doing it. <laughs> that's how you change culture. That's how you influence society. I want you to have a burning passion for this thing. That's how you influence society. Many of us are too cold. We're too obvious. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When you were younger, listen, the principles that guided social interactions when you were young still guide them today. They just seem more complex, but they are not. The world is still run on peer pressure. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's still run on peer pressure. You know how, raise your hand if you ever, ah, this will be for my generation. If you, if you use the Blackberry, raise your hand above your head. Keep your hand up if you got the Blackberry, even if it was out of your means. That is, you went out of your way to get it. Uh, put your hand down. Let me ask one now that many of you, put your hands down now. Let me ask one that many of you may not want to admit to. Raise your hand if you bought it because somebody you saw and liked had it and you wanted to feel among. Ah, yes. The word, or oh, put your hand down, the more common one, but you will not agree. If you have an iPhone, you probably have it because it's an article of ostentation. Everybody uses an iPhone, so I must use one too. It's how marketing works. They show you that all these people are using it, so why aren't you using it? It's peer pressure. The problem is that we've allowed the devil bring the pressure for too long. So, I'm going to, I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm going to start responding to certain conversations eh, with condescending remarks. When you dress somehow, they're arguing about Christian, and then you come and put up a comment on decency, in the, and your comment sponsors indecency. I'll respond to it like you are foolish for saying so. I won't insult you. I will just condescend put pressure on you so that you will learn. When we do it well enough, watch people change. When, when somebody walks into church with a dress that is not very decent and somebody says, ah, this your gown is not short at all, and just walk away, just greet you. And four people say that to you next week. Nobody will tell you to go and buy material and complete your cloth. Nobody has to call you and say, how dare you? Don't you know it's a sin? No, we've done that for too long. That's not how it works. So if you, are not, you don't look bad. Very nice dress. It would have been nice if it was complete, but nice dress. A boy opened his chest anyhow. He said, ah, very nice chest. You should shave more often. <laughs> Next week, you will wear bishop collar. <laughs> Did you learn something? 
Say, Father, I renew my commitment to the gospel's cause. Say it one more time. Say, Father, I renew my commitment to the gospel's cause. Say, Father, give me an ambition for a selfless cause. Say it one more time. Say, Father, give me an ambition for a selfless cause. Like Esther, you were born for such a time as this. Do you hear what I'm saying? You were born for such a time as this. Listen, I, I really hope this sermon stirs you to step out and do good things. Like Esther, Mordecai called Esther and said to her, well, how do we know that you were not born for such a time as this? Such a time where your, your presence in the throne room Allows it, makes it possible for Jews to not die. How do we know that your presence in those corridors of power makes it possible for the gospel to spread in this country? Listen, you've seen headlines. The bill that affects Christianity, it has passed first reading. It has passed second reading. Imagine what is inside that bill. And many of us don't have a say in what goes on. You wake up one day and someone has swept the carpet off your feet. They've removed the ground that you are standing on. And you have no choice. How long are we going to allow that to continue? How long are we going to, how long are we going to continue being um, non-playable characters in our own lives? We allow other people to be main characters in our own lives. They decide what we do and how we do it. Do you know how damaging an indecent picture is? Do you know how damaging it is? And yet, many of us are exposed to that thing, 247. I went to the beach with, oh my God. Why? You were born for such a time as this. You were born to change this world in this time. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so self-centered. Listen, care about your life. Care about yourself. Care about the things that affect and influence you. That's good. But don't forget, there's something more. There is a burden that you must carry. That burden is light, but is necessary. Do you hear what I'm saying? And... For too long, the church has painted the burden as prayer for souls. Matthew 9, Jesus told his disciples to pray. Matthew 10, he sent them out. So the response to that prayer is walk. We must walk. Jesus said, I must walk the walk of my father while it is still day. Because night comes when no man can see. It is good for a man to bear his yoke in his youth. We are all young people. Let us bear this yoke now in our youth. Many of you, you just finished school. You have time. You have energy. You don't have anything you are doing. It's time for you to start learning skills. So, some people have learned skills for satisfaction. Just to feel satisfied with their career. Some people go into a line of career for money. Let me tell you a third one that you can go into a line of career for, for the gospel. Do you understand? I, I may not be 
the best at this, but I think I can do this. And it's profitable right now because if I make this money, it will affect the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? I started this teaching by prophesying over your life. I'll say it again. In your lifetime, you will sponsor the gospel as an individual to the tune of millions. You will be responsible for the salvation of cities and villages. Do you hear what I'm saying? You by yourself, you will just go somewhere and see the village. No church here. No. Then from your pocket, you will build hospitals. You will build schools. You will build churches for them. Say loud amen. amen. The churches cannot do it alone. You are not helping the church do it. You are not doing it by yourself. And let me ask you. What exactly is God's blessing on your life for? What is God? Why? We are bold though. We are bold. The last one he gave you, you squandered it. You still have the right to stand and ask for another. You never used it for the gospel. There was no God in your plan. And then now it has finished. You come and say, God, bless me. If you bless me, I will live for you. You think God is a fool? Before God, little is much. Jesus said, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. In much. Not that he will be. He is. He is. The little is much. How you handle 100 is exactly how you handle 100,000. And listen, there are no vacuums in nature. If God is not using you, the devil is. Do you hear me? If God is not actively using you, you are in line for the devil to use. There is no in-between. In the realm of the spirit, there are no gray areas. I hope you know. There are no gray areas. There's no God, gray, the devil. No. God, the devil. If God is not using your finances, if God is not using your life, if God is not using your time, the devil will be using it. He will be using it. Sounds like harsh, harsh truth. But maybe that's why it was called special Sunday service. So that this one day we'll teach you harsh truth and we'll return back to soft stuff. Just, yeah. Hallelujah. Bow your heads for one minute. Lord, make my life count for you. Make my life count for you. Open your mouth and pray. Make my life count for you. Make my life count for you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Now, I, I, want, to, I want to challenge you. Take out your, your Bibles, your, notepad, your notepads, or your phones, whatever you use to take notes today. Take it out. Under today's teaching, I want you to write, in the next one year, how will your life count for the gospel? How will your life count for the gospel?
for those of you that are parents or you are, you are, you are newly married, am I going to take out time to learn how to be a good parent and how to parent my children right in the way of God? I just got a new job. How much of the people in my office will come to the gospel because of me? Many times our response to sin is to be overwhelmed. Say, oh, more men. That office was very sinful. The things they used to do there. That's not how light responds to darkness now. No matter how, in fact, the darker the darkness, the more effective the light. If you have a room that is just almost dark, an additional light may not make much impact. But a room that is pitch black, pitch black, a match stick will make so much impact. So when you are face to face with the carnality of the world, don't respond, it by being, respond to it by being overwhelmed. Say, wow, it's so much. I can't stand it. I can't stand Some Christians, some Christians, it's so much, I can't stand it. I want to live there. Hi. May we not run away from our mission posts. Amen. Say amen. amen. May we not run from our mission posts. Me, challenge accepted. I will first of all set myself up by making everybody know I'm a Christian. No. In fact, I'm a pastor. Let's start from there. Uh-huh. So don't come to meet me with any high behavior. I'm a pastor. Number two. Even before I was a pastor, that was the way I lived though. I walk into an environment, I go out of my way to be extra religious. So you know where I stand. Ah, I go out of my way. I've told you stories of how, where I was working when I was living in Abuja. I will wake up, I will get to the office first. Before work starts, I will bring out my Bible, I will sit at my workstation, I will read my Bible. I will not talk to anybody. They will be coming in, good morning, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I was not obnoxious. I wasn't a, I wasn't a difficult person to work. I'm still jovial. But I'm reading my Bible and you know it. One day, my, for after a while, my boss, he will come in, he will see me reading. He called me, he said, are you a pastor? I said, I'm training to be. He said, okay. Can you start doing morning devotions in the office? Office, office, office. Nobody was doing morning devotion before. And I did not instigate it. He said we should do morning devotions in the office. That he will allow us 10 minutes of prayer before every work day. That he too is a Christian and he has been thinking of how to inculcate a Christian environment in his office. But that he sees that I may be able to do it. And that's how we started morning devotion. Some of the people that worked with me then are pastors now. Some of them are pastors now. Ah, took, I, I would prepare a sermon note every morning for them. As if I was preaching in church. I would prepare a sermon note. Short sermon for them. Every morning I had something to preach. At some point, I was taking them through series. So you are, you are getting good edification. You, you show up in the office and be edified first. We pray in tongues well, then we start work. When I started that place, it wasn't like that. I wasn't there for up to a year, just so you know. I didn't work there. I, I, went, I, I started there in February, February, and I left there in November. Yes, I wasn't there. It was my NYC. It wasn't my PPA. I got that job during my NYC year. So when NYC has finished and they've flung me back to Lagos, I fly back now. Is that not it? Uh, one year. I wasn't there for two. a full year. Some of them are pastors today. Some of the people that were my roommates when I was doing my extra year, 
that we are wayward, wayward as service unit leaders in their church now. Fervent, tongue speaking. See, they call me with, I saw a vision. Those kind of people. Because I was serious about it. Ah, I was, there was one of them, I said, you, you will know Jesus. He will wake up in the morning, he will be blasting his secular music. I never once told him, stop. No. Why? Flex. I timed it. I went to buy a speaker. I wake up very early, just before he wakes up. Then I started by playing apologetics in the room. I'll just play it. You know that it's not so loud that it wakes everybody up, but it's loud enough for everybody to hear. Ah, yes. One day, I finished playing one. He said, who is that person that is talking? I said, ah, I've caught you. You have entered my trap. <laughs> he said, who is that person? I can tell you stories on stories. There was one of us. He's a pastor here now. I moved to his city. I moved to his city. I will come and tell him, can I play FIFA in your house? He will say, ah, yes, come. I will go to his house. We'll play FIFA. And I say, ah, while I'm here, can we do small Bible study? Well, yeah, let's do. I started through the book of Ephesians with him. I ran through the full book with him. By the time, now, every time he talks about it, he'll say, you were setting me up. I knew it. I can see it now that you set me up for where I am today. Listen, influence is not hard, though. It's just you that doesn't know what to do with it. Your roommate is, you're always complaining, my roommate's this, my roommate's that. Be techni- be very, very, like Jesus. Approach her. Don't say to her, eh, eh, I have good news for you. No. Give me water to drink. I have water that if you drink, you will never thirst again. Let pick their interest. Pick their interest. Praise the Lord. I've heard testimonies. I heard a testimony of a praying with Poco. Um, you know, I, I released a prayer um, companion sometime. Someone shared a testimony of how her roommate that um, is very unserious, doesn't love God, played the thing. She prays with it in the room. And so she just played. And one day, she was playing it, and the roommate was in the room. She was praying. Then at some point, she was hearing another voice. So she stopped and opened her eyes. The roommate was kabashing. I said, that's how to do the work. That's how you get people to... From there, after that, you don't say anything to them. You just keep quiet. Then the next day, you want to say, I want to pray. How far you go like pray? <laughs> just very subtle invitation. Do you want to pray? Let's go and pray together. Before you know what's going on, their lives have changed. Amen? Amen. Your life will count for the gospel. All right, were you blessed today? Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.